0: Our second reading for this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter, and you'll also find it in the middle of your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, other boats were with him. A great gale arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Here ends our reading. As the people of the book, we spend a lot of time talking about the peaceable kingdom. Throughout the Bible, we hear our ancestors invested in the hope that the reign of God will be realized. Retooled visions, promises, declarations, appear over and over again. In the midst of exile, devastation, and unfulfilled dreams of a safe and generative place to call home, there is a spirit of determination that the peaceable kingdom must come. It will come. We just have to hold on until it gets here. So when it doesn't come, the result is astonishment, disbelief. How could this be? We don't know what to do with that. The reign of God is supposed to come. The world is meant to be a place of justice and goodness. We are supposed to be a good creation. How could things have gone so wrong? It is like we are being hit by a storm, unable to recover our balance. Now, in the ordination process, one of the requirements in the Presbyterian Church is to write a statement of faith. Reworked and re- rewritten over the span of many years, it's a statement that points to an ordinance stance on a range of theological topics. The nature of God, creation, the authority of scripture, what it is to be the church, what happens when we die. As I wrote mine, I aimed for spaciousness. I used poetic verse in resistance to being confined. The beauty of humanity was pronounced, and I fled from any hint of our condemnation. Each time a committee would review my statement, they would find new things to wonder about. At first, the wonderment was surprise and enjoyment. As time went on, those wonderings grew into assignments. Assignments to address the cross, assignments to address sin, assignments to address anything I resisted. (laughs) Still, I found a way to keep a sense of gentleness about who we are and what we're doing here. In my final meeting with the last iteration of a committee, There was a chaplain in the room who picked up on my preference for focusing on the beauty of humanity. He wondered about how I made sense of that as someone who deals so intimately with violence in my work. How did I understand sin? It wasn't until that moment that I realized I had never connected the two the violence I worked against, and the theological concept of sin. So, I pulled out my best feminist theology and neatly turned his question of sin into the empowerment of women. Feminist theologians have argued that while traditionally sin has been thought of as pride or arrogance for women, sin is more often self-denial and self-deprecation so i explained the way i respond to sin is not by focusing on the abuser but is focusing on the women as they reclaim more of themselves but in sitting in that meeting I had to confess the reality that I currently was not able to see the humanity in abusers at all, even though my statement of faith was all about our shared humanity. I didn't even want to come close to that. It was too disturbing to me. And I accepted the inconsistency of believing in the goodness of humanity shared by all people and being unable to recognize the humanity of a certain group of people. I was still in the middle of that storm. The chaplain was satisfied. I had acknowledged the experience of confusion, of disorientation in the face of the breakdown of humanity, when the harm that someone can cause confounds our beautiful dream of the peaceable kingdom, our certainty that we are supposed to be about justice and about what is good. There are so many opportunities to be astonished by our humanity. So many opportunities to be stunned that we can be so hurtful to one another. The way we can dehumanize someone for crossing a border. The way we use one another to teach people lessons. The way systems of justice fail to bring justice the way we have honed our society to preference some over others and somehow didn't realize or remember or teach that it happened. The waves of the storm keep coming with each news cycle. School shootings, mass murders, more killing of black children, more murdering of trans people, more income inequality. On the same weekend, on this weekend, there is a major action for the Poor People's Campaign, a protest against poverty picked back up from the 60s and still relevant. There's pride, a celebration, as well as a reminder that it was once necessary to start a gay equivalent of a die-in, a gay inn in San Francisco, and that there is still work to be done. And there are protests against the separation of immigrant families and their indefinite detention. The water is coming in on all sides and it's exhausting. Reading Mark's Gospel, it is difficult not to hear news stories interwoven in the crossing of the waters and the encountering of the storm. Jesus says to his disciples, Let's cross over. So they take him in their boat, and there are other boats with them. And remember, at least some of the disciples are skilled fishermen, used to having navigated rough waters. And now what they were crossing over to was the land of the Gentiles, which was not going to be easy for them. It was a different land. So from the beginning, the story parallels the immigrant journey. And the story keeps going. Even though some of the disciples may have done it before, it's not like at least some of them shouldn't have been able to handle the waters. They quickly become concerned that they aren't going to make it safely. But Jesus has fallen asleep in the stern on a cushion. So they yell to him, Don't you care that we're perishing here? And Jesus, hearing their distress, wakes up. And there comes those news stories again. Hearing the distress, we are disturbed from our sleep, and I imagine the light of Christ carried within awakens. And the story continues. Jesus tells the storm to stop, to be still. And then, a dead calm comes, which frightens the disciples just as much. They've got what they would have imagined to be demons of the sea on the one hand, and this unimaginable power of Jesus calming those demons of the sea on the other. They're totally not in control, and there's no way to be oriented about it. Things are not as they should be. They should be able to navigate the sea, and they're not able. They're taking on water with the real and present fear of death. And now all of a sudden, this other power is doing something that shouldn't be able to happen. And Jesus says, are you still afraid? To which the answer is, of course. You still don't have faith? Struggling to identify who Jesus is is a theme throughout the book of Mark. Do you still not recognize me? Are you still afraid? And I wonder who he's talking to in our news stories. To those who fear borders being crossed? There's a comedy bit by Jerry Seinfeld about being in line at the grocery store. He says he loves those little rubber dividers they give you. You get a little real estate too. Sometimes he just holds the divider out in case someone tries to get a little too close. Hey, buddy, your bag of potato chips are getting a little too close to my box of donuts. A little too close for comfort as if they weren't all just equals in the store moments before. Still, I want my conveyor space, I want my bubble, I want to feel safe. How do I know what the person next to me is up to? It's complicated. Do we believe in the light of Christ carried within each of us? Within those crossing the waters? Within everyone, we say we do. I like it in theory, that kind of elevated anthropology, that elevated belief in our common humanity. But I don't always see another person's humanity or want to. Sometimes people do cause us harm and we don't like being hurt. Witnessing the light of Christ carried within another feels like such an intimate thing. It's recognizing something we both share, a vision that connects us as people. Connection is not always desirable. It's only when I am in a place of safety that I am able to grant the abuser his humanity back. When I'm feeling threatened, experiencing empathy is not something I'm open to. When I'm feeling encroached upon in line at the store, I'm not usually thinking about that person's humanity. Part of the brilliance of comedians and poets and good writers is their ability to observe the stuff of life that's been happening but hasn't been pointed out before. So now, the next time we're in the grocery store line, feeling a little prickly, needing some space on the conveyor belt, you have a friend in your noticing, and you can be a little gentler with yourself in that noticing. It's hard to live up to our dream of the peaceable kingdom, and yet it's still devastating to look around and see the disparity between the promise and reality. When we are met with the storm with disbelief, and how can this be? How are we to respond? What is a meaningful response? When income inequality seems insurmountable, when racism seems to have no end, when there are always more waves crashing into the boat, are we to live angry? Numb, how do we become free? When we are unable to buy a home where we live, is it freedom to not be bothered, to not be affected? Is it free to protest? What if we don't want to protest? Is it free to not have to protest? How are we supposed to feel? What are we supposed to do? As good, informed people who care about justice, how do we know the right thing to be upset about and to the right degree? All these shoulds can leave us floundering like we're being pulled into the riptide. The philosopher and novelist, Albert Camus, writes about the courage it takes to live with integrity in this world, not to be simply about right or wrong, but to live honest with yourself about the places of tension, to accept what we long for and are not able to achieve. He writes about the bravery it takes to live so free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. He acknowledges the tendency for rebellions to go awry, for us to get caught up in creating new dogmas and reinforcing old tyrannies, for the slave to want to become the master. So again, He encourages us to rebel, to rebel against our desire to trade one hierarchy for another, and eventually to recall that which unites us. Though we yearn for clarity, though we cannot abide the world being other than it should be, it is in facing the places of tension that bring about fruitful rebellion. So like a good writer, we find a friend in Camus as we notice the questions come in response to the storm, that together our rebellion might be fruitful and that we might find a way to keep a sense of gentleness about who we are and about what we're doing here. Amen.